Hey listeners, I know a lot of you are not familiar with our high voltage playlists that we recently launched and to continue to update every month on our Spotify based on the fact that music is a, a fundamental column that holds up a lot of creative types uh, that I speak to on the show. I, th I think it will bring a lot of good vibes into anyone who enjoys synth wave or any of its related electronic musical genres and such. Uh, I think this will hit even harder. Thanks for continuing to consume our content and uh, please go search high voltage on Spotify. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Welcome to the Mondo Neon Show. Argon, Neon, Helium, Xenon, Krypton. Transform and roll out. Mondo Neon Show, it's Max here and I'm with Sarah Blood. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. Sarah, so you are a uh, design, uh, MA in glass, the uh, University of Sunderland, um, but also, you know, you're working in New York as well, um, practicing heavily since 99, exhibiting all over the world. Uh, really excited to have you on. Uh, kind of just where your first reaction was to Neon, I think would be a, a great place to kind of begin. Uh, you know, take that as far along as you want. But where did you kind of pick up Neon and run with it? Well, my first response to Neon was um, Bruce Nauman. Um, he had a retrospective in London and at the time I was interested in forensic science and was taking all science courses at college um, and tagged along with some friends who were going to see an art show. Um, and I saw his green light corridor and had, um, I guess, what they call a religious experience, like the rest of the world fell away. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, oh my God, I need to seriously rethink the, the trajectory of my life. So went back to college, um, switched all of my classes around, started taking art classes. Um, and that was really kind of my first response to Neon. Um, and then did foundation course, eventually did glass and ceramics at um, Sunderland. Um, I was uh, mostly working with glass for, I think it was four years, five years, um, did a master's at that point, and then, um, and then discovered Neon after I'd finished my master's. So it was probably about, it was probably about eight years between deciding that I needed to be working in the, in the artistic realm and actually getting to the, the crux of what had turned my head in the first place. Um, and so like, my did you initially experiment with different mediums or did you land on neon as like, cause it sounds like you had a lot going on, right? You're kind of bouncing between different areas of art. Yeah. Well, I, um, I, well, I, I went to, um, Sunderland because I wanted to do glass and ceramics, but really I was doing ceramics, um, for the first two and a half years and then just switched over to glass, um, for my final year. And kind of, I started off glass blowing and then casting and then cold working and just kind of worked my way through all the various methods of playing with glass until I started flame working and thought, oh, this, this, is this must be really similar to making neon. I should really see if there's somewhere where I can learn. And so it was really, it was never really a focused, I will do this for five years and then I will seek out neon. It was definitely an amble right. 
through different mediums and um, experimentation. I, and I think so, it's very moving too, like where you kind of, you thought to yourself, okay, I do want to be involved heavily in the arts, but you're kind of just by order of reduction, you got to a place where you're like, okay, glass makes sense, you know, and let's, let's combine those efforts. It wasn't just, you were like, I'm going to do X and this is how I'm going to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think all of the big decisions that I've made in my life have not felt like decisions. They felt like, Oh, what's that over there? Oh, that looks cool. And so, and I've kind of, yeah, wandered into it almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but with neon, it's really stuck. So I, uh, I went to the glass furnace just outside of Istanbul in, I think it was 2004, 2005 and took a two week class there. Um, and that was pretty much it. I kind of knew straight away that this was not something I was going to be able to put down again. And also starting Uh, something too, like the hard part is just asking how, like, is this a good use of my time? And I always think, you know, what exactly is a good use of any artist's time? You know, I ensure like, anybody to pick up whatever it is that's interesting them because they'll never know for sure it might be a really tough decision at that moment but one very significant thing to really get out of that is and i think one of the silver linings is that you're going to get something out of that experience regardless your return on your investment of your time is going to be the lesson learned it doesn't matter if you love that medium or not you're never going to know unless you really take it from zero and just jump in and do it and I think that's really a better decision for an artist to make than just sort of ask around and then sort of sit and, and muddle that over. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like no education is ever wasted. Um, but I mean, the really great thing about being in the UK at that time was uh, the arts were really well supported. So the course that I took in Istanbul, it was um, I applied for funding from the Arts Council England. So that covered that. Um, But also, um, you know, I can't really stress enough. In fact, my education was free. It was funded by Europe, European funding. And also we have the um, National Health Service, which means that you, uh, I think I felt a lot freer to be self-employed and to take those risks than I would over here where like healthcare is really expensive. Um, and I, I don't think I can stress how important those factors were in enabling me to take these risks artistically and within my practice. Um, yeah, I don't think, I, yeah, I think it's a lot harder for American artists, particularly when they're starting up to take those risks. I think it's a decision too, like within the grand scheme of things, like you said, um, it allowed you to not worry as much just trying to figure out the moment where you sort of made glass a thing where you were keeping yourself from moving forward. I think every decision is, is hard on a different level. Whereas, you know, with Americans, we have a lot of access. We have, you know, the freedom to sort of decide on a lot of things, you know, what options do we want to do? But I think what will get somebody there might be different for each person. But I like what you said, like you applied for assisted aid you had a decision in mind and what was likely going to happen was going to happen. Like you had already set up your kind of your, the way that you were going to go out and do it. Um, so, you know, the decisions weren't always right in front of you, I think, which I want to make a little obvious is like kind of the magic was in that little bit of a gray area where you were kind of like, okay, <laughs> like when you got there and 
and you had taken the course and you, you know, maybe you're now at a place where you want, what, what's next? Like, where do you go from there? Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a case of, Oh, this, this has been great, but this isn't enough. Uh, I, I need more of this and I need to find out more. I need people who are going to help me. And, and I mean, that was a different challenge as well. Um, so being in England, um, there's not many people working with neon. Um, it's actually just last year, uh, neon was put on the endangered crafts list in the UK, which I find, uh, really interesting because it seems to be booming in the United States right now. I don't know. I just thought of like elephants and animals, like list, (laughs) like (laughs) an endangered species. Like I was thinking about the artist just like huddled up in a corner, like in the middle of a jungle, like looking to get (laughs) taken out. I don't know why. Uh Uh-huh. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, so when I was working in the UK, before I moved here, um, the the nearest uh, friendly, and when I say friendly, I mean supportive, uh, Neon Studio was 100 miles from my house. And so I managed to get some a ribbon burner and a hand torch, and I used a pond pump for a blower. And so I set up really basic flameworking stuff in my studio, in Newcastle and then I would drive a hundred miles um, and then my friend would fill the tubes um, but and that was the closest other artist working in neon did you did that, that develop I think in in all of that like those experiences will allow you to quickly and strategically make that a goal of yours you know you develop this uncanny ability to kind of unbelievably go above and beyond like predicting okay what's next I'm just gonna do it you know there's so much better way to maybe do what you did but just to just actually going and driving all the way down there i've heard other artists on the show where they kind of knew what they wanted to do in that scenario but they knew they kind of based on pattern recognition and the ability to kind of make that decision to trust your gut to logically go to a place where you're going to say you know what i'm going to spend two days down there and drive like multiple hours um, to analyze the pros and the cons is just entrust your instincts and just decide is like that lack of fear. I think it's an excitement that artists should definitely keep on, you know, keep their foot on the gas pedal is what I'm thinking. That's kind of what I hear from that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. But definitely a large part of that was that I couldn't afford to get my own bombarda. And so it was, I have to make this work. Um, like creatively, I had that drive that I needed to make neon and I needed to find a way to make it happen because I, I didn't have the means. And, and actually the studio space that I had at the time, I wouldn't have been uh, with, um, with permits and, stu- and such. I wouldn't have been allowed to install a bombarder in my studio. Mm-hmm. So you're for you. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing about it is, you weren't in a position to go the other way. So the only thing you could do is decide at that moment where you kind of, uh, I guess, so yeah, you accomplished that. You've now traveled to fill up tubes. Can you remember the first time that you were able to kind of like truly make something that you kind of moved you in a sense, like, okay, I'm on the right path here. Uh, actually it was the very, it was the very first piece I made out of neon. It was a blown glass piece with no electrodes because the induction heater had broken on the way to the class uh, in Istanbul. 
and um, and I filled it with neon and I used like a single electrode transformer to create the radio field so that the glass swung in and out of the, the electrical field and blinked on and off. And when I first set that up, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm all in here. <laughs> this, yeah, <laughs> this, this, is this is it for me, yeah. That's great. Um, I love the story because, you know, the options are, you know, you can go and, and wait and do that. But since that very first instinct that you had, <clears throat> does your opinion on Neon wane at all between where you've kind of seen it go and, and turn into and where it's now at? Because you're now in the States, right? You're in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you say, has my opinion changed? Do you mean like seeing where... I guess where... I the guess where I'm going with that. Yeah, like maybe the scene, but also... Um, if you remember the time kind of getting to, to kind of the place we're at now, um, seeing the resources that are available, because uh, we haven't dipped our toes into it yet, but it is, it's kind of something right on my the tip of my tongue is your work uh, as a professor at Alfred University. So it just sounds yeah. so much like all this stuff is now coming to fruition where you kind of have realized all these different pieces and kind of shaken things up a bit. I mean, now you're traveling to a completely different country um, yeah. What was the catalyst for all of that? Well, I've been here for seven years now, which wow. uh, feels wild considering I only came here for a year. Um, yeah, well, I, uh, it was at a time when the reason I came here or the reason I looked to come here was because the, the UK economy was quite deeply in recession and opportunities were drying up. And I started to think I have to do something else because um, I can't work any more hours in the day. Um, that that yeah. So I, I was kind of interested. I was thinking I'm trying. So it was really not, I mean opportunity, it was but also necessity. partly necessity. Yeah. yeah. So I was starting to think I need to do something else because this is starting to not be sustainable. Um, and then um, a colleague of mine who was actually teaching at Alfred at the time just dropped the uh, job um, advert in my Facebook page and she didn't comment on it at all she just put it there and I was like oh <laughs> well this is interesting because I hadn't thought about teaching <laughs> although I was doing workshops and teaching um, in a very informal way um, and I thought, well, I'm not qualified for this, but I'll throw my hat in the ring because it would be really great for them to know that I'm over here and I'm doing this thing. And, and it'd be great for me to kind of like almost meet them. And then, um, and then I ended up getting the job for the one year visiting artist position. And then I applied for the tenure track position once I was here and got that too. And so I thought, well, I have to stay, you know, I've got a job here. This is great. Mm -hmm. um and that's pretty much as this is as much thought as i gave into emigration um, i love that idea between you're a bit of a frequent flyer it sounds like too i mean i don't know all the places you visited but do you have you know are there you know with such range in different geographies how does your sense of place inform your art too i mean obviously you took a position as professor mm -hmm. and that makes sense because you had a, yeah. a goal in mind, but have you been able to kind of see the difference between where you're located and the different types of art you're able to make? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, 
being so being being in America, being in Alfred has been incredibly freeing artistically. Um, on the one level, I have access to so many toys. You know, I'm I'm working in a school of art and design, and and there's like a wood shop, there's a fab shop, there's photography, video, there's prints, there's like there's so many wonderful things, and I work with so many really skilled people who can advise me or or inspire me on a very like if I'm being um, on a very basic level, um, but also um, I've. When I came here, I discovered a new audience who were not necessarily interested about whether I was making art that looked like my work, or at least that's how I felt anyway. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of gave me, it gave me freedom to just be a lot more playful in my approach to my work and make work that I wanted to make um, that spoke about ideas and thoughts that I wanted to express rather than feel... Um, pigeonholed I guess and I think that's my own baggage I don't think that's necessarily something that has been imprinted on me um but I mean England definitely seems to be um there's a lot more focus on tradition than there is over over here Mm -hmm. and I, I think it's interesting that artists put so much opinions of themselves upon you know right like we I say we because being a former art school student myself it's kind of brought in this there's a lot of noise you know especially when you first enter that environment and sometimes you find people are more willing to kind of break things down for you but a lot of times you're sort of left to kind of figure things out on your own I don't know if that's good or bad or says (laughs) what it says about my experiences Um, but I do know that there's uh, kind of I guess the opinions of artists are, are really strong is what I realized you know that kind of can make or break you know we're kind of ultimately yeah. the, the, at odds with ourselves and i think that's a good thing i think artists are uh, uh embody perfectionism at times and uh are heavily critiquing at all levels because i think you think you need to do some of that if you're going to create uh, quality you know, depending on what that subjective verdict looks like but yeah. uh you have to be able to have some sort of defense about just everything sort of coming in at once um and getting yeah, involved absolutely. with that too. I mean, how do you advise students who are just picking this stuff up? What advice do you, are you able to give them that you might think listeners that are willing to neon on the show right now might be able to take away from? Well, I think um, the important thing uh, to be aware of is that there's going to be a lot of failure and that that is something to learn from as opposed to try and avoid. And there's a lot of growth that comes from failure. And there is going to be a lot of time where you just have to work things out for yourself. Um, And I think that's really apparent right from the get-go because, um, you know, you set the torch on and you show students basic bends. But there's no, it's like, it's a feel thing. You're feeling how hot the burner is and how soft the glass is getting. Um, you can't say to a student, okay, you take, you take this piece of glass and you put it in the fire for 10 seconds and then you take it out and you'll be able to do a bend. Because there's so many different variables and it depends on how hot their torch is, what kind of glass they're using, how high they are up in the flame. 
Um, and so there is an awful lot of trial and error. And I think, um, and I think as artists, it's important to spend that time on your own working it out because that's how you find, that's how you solve your problems. That's how you work out um, kind of the, the kind of artist that you are, but also that's where you do your thinking and that's how you develop your voice as an artist, I think. That's um, well said. Uh, you know, I think especially what you said is that there's a, a conflict that, like we said, is not avoiding it, but just sort of meeting it head on with yeah. the idea of failing. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, just the idea of having those memories and, and being able to go back and look at them and kind of say, okay, what went wrong, what didn't go right, is really kind of the basis for what you're going to do next. And unless you get to that point, you'll never really kind of know what, what to really ultimately do, you know, to, to subvert that or kind of uh, make make a better decision the next time. I think that's a great, <laughs> a really great way to think about it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I think, um, yeah, failure is the biggest thing to be prepared for, but also kind of reframing that because there is so much uh, negativity that's put on failure where it's actually incredibly valuable, I think. Mm -hmm. How does, uh, in the time in the studio with those other artists and your time kind of personally, do you find that you know you may end up working ideas that you've seen or things that worked well for the studio environment versus the, the learning environment? Do they kind of cross over at all? Ooh. Uh, In terms of like what you can do, have you ever been surprised by, like or it must be a way to kind of reflect on what you've done in the past too, to see other artists commit to certain things? Yeah, I guess I'm, I really like it. and. I like it when students surprise me by going, going kind of beyond what they're taught. I don't, I, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. No, no um, I think you're right. I think I, you're picking up on that, that idea. Uh, yeah. I mean, as teachers, we can only kind of lay breadcrumbs and, um, and then students, I mean, the whole point of it is, is to create independent thinkers and independent artists that have their own voice and, and that can run and be uh, contenders in the field. Uh, that's the aim of the game, I think. Um, I mean, when I, when I teach, I teach them, I teach what I know and I teach them how to find out things that I don't know, I guess. Mm -hmm. So speaking from that, I think you're just getting into your personal work too. She Benz comes up a lot on the show and a frequent exhibitor since you're, you know, obviously in different, shows that do travel do you have any favorite memories i guess from being involved in that show or other ones that you're working in right now i guess to hop from subject to subject there but maybe this one in particular because most people know about it uh, is there anything that kind of jumps out at you uh yeah i think um my favorite my favorite um yeah, I guess my favorite memory about um, She Bends is when I went out to LA for the opening for the very first exhibition and I met all of the women there the night before the exhibition opening and I realized I found my people. This is my community. This is, I've been uh, making neon on my own essentially with help from individuals, but I've never really had a community until that moment. Um, and they're an amazing bunch of women and, uh, yeah, it's, it's really good. It's a really good 
positive and powerful thing to be part of. Is there, because, is there like a favorite bit of feedback you've gotten from the exhibition? Like maybe you're, when you've gotten and people come to go see the show, is there anything that kind of sticks out? Uh, maybe just like one reactions, I guess, from people, maybe they don't realize like when you're, I guess the general public would be, has there, have you been, has that transformed your work in any way being involved with the show afterwards? Uh, involved with She Bends? Yeah, like in terms of like exhibiting at the shows, like now that you've been through a few uh, kind of different iterations of it traveling around, uh, has it informed your work at all and in terms of what you're working on now? Um, I wouldn't say it's informed my work, but it makes me feel like I've got um, stronger backing. You know, I don't feel like I'm out there on my own trying to push new ground. Um, I feel like I'm part of something bigger. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, where you're headed now, are there any things that you're, you're kind of working on uh, that you're really excited about in terms of shows or just, you know, current events? Like, obviously, we're really uh, isolated. Most artists are having a, a tough time uh, making their way through, obviously, if they've had a show that they've been working on. Um, but whatever you're kind of, uh, you know, bringing up right now, is there anything that you're excited about that's coming up? Uh, yeah. Wow. That's that. I mean, that's a really interesting question now, uh, because all of my summer exhibitions have been canceled. So, um, I had something in Chicago, in Sweden, in Seattle coming up and I was, um, for two of those shows, I was making new work and I was really excited about, about that. Um, but I, but the shows have been canceled and I no longer have access to my studio right now. So, um, yeah, it kind of feels, I mean, I guess I feel the same way that a lot of artists are feeling right now. Um, I kind of feel, um, set adrift, uh, making work wise. I think, um, I think in the long run, this is going to be a good time because I'm spending more time reading. Um, I'm spending time doing other creative pursuits, which are going to feed into my practice at some point because everything eventually does. Um, but I kind of do feel a little bit lost without studio access at this point. Um, what do you, what do you think is, uh, I guess could be helpful. I think this, obviously what we're doing here is great. We can talk about work and that's exciting, but uh, I've seen other artists go online and post different pictures and you're obviously heavily on, uh, I've seen your stuff. It's great on Instagram uh, where people can go in and take a look. Have you ever kind of branched in out in that direction and thought about uh, obviously producing for the internet at this point? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, um, we talked about how difficult it was just to do a course online nowadays with yeah, something as visual yeah. as neon. It's, it's interesting. So I guess, you know, things that I'm thinking of doing at this point in time is um, updating my website um, and also my Facebook, my Instagram. Um, I have a lot of images of teaching, but I don't necessarily have a lot of images of my own work on my Instagram page, or it could be more densely populated so I guess it's things like that it's kind of working on working on the practice as opposed to working in the practice and and researching and 
kind of just staying match fit um, and waiting, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got a sketchbook. I have quite an active sketchbook um, practice. Um, yeah. And also, I'm kind of, too, where can people get um, access to you? So we mentioned uh, Instagram is one of those places uh, as well. Yeah. Um, so on Instagram, I'm Sarah underscore blood. Um, I have a website, uh, which is sarahblood.com. Um, they're really the two most reliable places to find me. Awesome. Um, uh, well, Sarah, I really appreciate you coming on the show, talking about your incredible work for other artists, uh, your devotion to neon, as well as just, uh, yeah, just being a, a, an incredible resource of information. I think anyone who's uh, wants to dip their toes into something like this, they can visit the website as well. Uh, go check out Alfred University, which has a whole bunch of information online to uh, to go see too. Is that right? Um, I mean, yes, by all means, get in touch about that. Um, Alfred University doesn't offer any neon courses that aren't accredited. So it's part of the the degree um, system. But if, you, if you're interested in finding uh, neon classes. I frequently teach them at Pilchuck Glass School in Seattle, Washington. Um, also check out Penland School for Crafts in North Carolina. But then there's some amazing women uh, with she bands like Stephanie Lifschutz, uh, Meryl Pataki. They frequently uh, run neon classes for people who are interested in kind of getting their feet wet and uh, seeing what all the fuss is about. Oh, that's good. Thanks. Uh, a lot of really great information there, Sarah. Anybody who's listening, you can have multiple pathways to, uh, to achieve your goal if you're interested in bending uh, some neon. Uh, and Sarah, thanks again for coming on. Okay, thanks for having me. Hey guys, Mononium would like to give a shout out to people who have left reviews, which helps give context as to why this is a worthwhile podcast. Uh, I think the cosine is a very big deal. And so here's a, a favorite review that we want to highlight from a robot voice generator. Today's review titled I Love This Podcast written by Ann Maker says this podcast features guests working in the neon light industry. It is so fascinating hearing the stories of these makers and neon enthusiasts and to learn more about the colorful world of neon. Max's interview style is laid back and conversational which makes this podcast a great listen. Very informative. Thanks for writing in and keep leaving reviews cause yours could be next. <laughs>